Hello and welcome to the Mini Rules of Film Club. This is Jeff Yance, the program director at the Loft Cinema, joined as always by my cinema-loving cohorts, the occasional filmmaker Heather Lades. Hi, Jeff. And multimedia artist Rusty Boulay Stevenson. O Muse, sing in me and through me tell the story. Ah. That's from Oh Brother, Where Are Thou? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and a representative of a good soundtrack. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about the importance of music in the cinematic experience. Uh, so we're talking soundtracks. I think everyone loves music. If you watch a movie, you're going to hear music. Yeah. And clearly, people have very passionate opinions on what constitutes a soundtrack and what does not constitute a soundtrack. Mm. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to point out that we are going to be looking at compilation soundtracks films that use pre-recorded songs as the soundtrack, as opposed to musical score soundtracks that are instrumental orchestral scores as a soundtrack. That's right. They're, they're two different things. Two, two different things, exactly. Both equally interesting and equally valid and equally important. Yes, very important. Yeah. But we got to keep things short and tight here at the <laughs> Many Rules of Film Club. So we're talking about compilation soundtracks. And that's how they're sold. It says soundtrack on the front of the albums. You pick up the Batman soundtrack, for instance, with all the Prince music. That's right. Says soundtrack. Says soundtrack, yes. So looking at compilation soundtracks, I thought I was just going to maybe talk a little bit about one of my favorite soundtracks that is generally seen as one of the first compilation soundtracks that really sort of reinvented the soundtrack genre, which is the American Graffiti soundtrack. Uh and I love this. It was a double album. I've had the album since childhood, literally the same physical album. And then I've gotten CDs, and I've got it downloaded, and I, I have all iterations of American Graffiti. I love oldies. Uh, my mother was a big oldies fan. Yeah. She was a big fan of American Graffiti, the movie, so I saw the movie a lot as a kid. Uh, and it's it's great. It's probably the greatest sampler of classic oldies music out there. It's got the Flamingos and the Platters and Chubby Checker and Flats Domino. Uh, it's really great. It's got 41 songs on the soundtrack. But what makes it really unique is that the entire American Graffiti soundtrack is all pop music. There's no instrumental orchestral music in the film at all. And uh, George Lucas, uh, the director of American Graffiti, has talked at length about this, about how that was a very radical idea in uh, 1973 when the film came out, uh, because that was not done. And studios told him, uh, you can't do this. You've got to have a, a musical score in the film. Music rights will be too much, and no one will be able to follow listening to all this music. It'll be distracting to hear all these songs. But luckily, he didn't care. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. which I think to his credit, people often don't give George Lucas credit with being a good filmmaker. I mean, he is the creator of Star Wars, so a successful filmmaker. But American Graffiti is a great film. Yeah, it is. And it was clearly a very personal film. He did what he wanted with that film. And uh, much to the displeasure of the studio, he based this on his own life growing up in Modesto, California, just cruising around listening to songs on the radio in the early 60s. And what makes the soundtrack really, I think, innovative is that it's wall-to-wall -wall pop songs that are connected by a radio DJ 
in this instance, Wolfman Jack, Wolfman Jack, who was a big radio DJ in the early 60s. And Wolfman Jack actually appears in the film playing himself. Uh, But he sort of functions in the soundtrack as the Greek chorus, his uh, commentary in between the songs, comments on the action that's happening as we see it. Uh, And it's really... I don't know if I would ever use the word avant-garde to describe American graffiti, but I think the way it uses music at that time was. Well, clearly, yeah. I mean, he's doing something very new. Yeah. And it was also a really thoughtful selection of songs because the songs actually comment on the action in the film. So uh, it's a great primer if you're looking for a primer of oldies music. And also radical and not having, there are moments of silence when there's no pop music, there's dead silence in the film. Mm. Um, and he was pressured to put score, musical score into the scenes. And it's very effective. It really makes the scenes pop when there's no music happening. Uh, just very, very clever. He has said that the studio said, well, we don't want to put out a soundtrack album. And he pushed them to do it. He was given a budget to get a certain number of songs. He wanted 80 songs in the film. They didn't wow. give him enough wow. money. He can only afford 41 songs, and you have to pay extra to get royalties to put out a soundtrack album. They said, we don't want to do that. We think this movie's not going to make money. It's not going to be worth it. Then the movie was a gigantic hit. Then they had to go back. Universal had to go back and renegotiate the rights to the songs to put out a soundtrack, which George Lucas very wisely, as he always does, kept merchandising rights Mm -hmm. for the soundtrack (laughs) and got rich off the soundtrack. He's always very smart about that. Yeah, so he's a very savvy movie producer and entrepreneur. But American Graffiti, you can see the influence of that soundtrack everywhere. So I think it really opened up the doors to using pre-recorded pop music. Uh, certainly Reservoir Dogs. I think Quentin Tarantino completely based the soundtrack yeah. of Reservoir Dogs on American Graffiti. Oh, that's a fair point. Uh, K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s radio show yeah, that's true. and 70s pop music with no orchestral music score in Reservoir Dogs at all. A clear nod to American Graffiti. And it's Stephen Wright. Is Stephen Wright is the DJ. The DJ, yeah. and you hear him Dogs. on that soundtrack. Mm. Right. So I think American Graffiti was not the first movie to use pop songs on a soundtrack. We were talking about the Graduate soundtrack, Simon yeah. and Garfunkel, which is a mix of pop songs and orchestral music. Uh, I think sort of that sort of paved the way yeah. for pop music um, that American Graffiti sort of picked up on. Um, but I think that should be in everyone's record collection, personally. Graffiti. It's a well, great I'm soundtrack. Go listen to it. I haven't listened to it in a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah. And a really just great film. And it's That's a really true. perfect melding of film and music, I think. So. When who doesn't remember driving around at some point in their life with tunes and, you know, yes. even as a kid, yeah. especially like maybe when you first start driving or. Oh, yeah. It's a good, it it instills that memory as well. That's why you drove around, so you could listen to music. Right. And headbang to Queens, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody, exactly. Yes. Um, And we did a previous podcast on great films about summer. This is a great summer film, also, American Graffiti. Oh, yeah. Aimless, languid. Yeah. Just driving around, looking for something to do, listening to music. Checking out boys, girls. Checking out boys, girls. Deciding whether you're going off to college. Yeah. You may not. It's your last year of high school, summer. Um, it's just great. I, I feel like American Graffiti is a little, even though it was a huge movie, I feel like it's a little underrated mm-hmm. these days as a film. Uh, I think you're right. I, th- yeah. I think you're right. I don't I don't think it's seen that much today. No. And 
it, George Lucas's other work certainly overshadows it. Right. <laughs> just a tad. <laughs> just a tad. A yeah, but it launched a lot of careers. I mean, it was one of Harrison Ford's first films and Richard Dreyfuss's first films mm-hmm. and Suzanne Somers famously is no, the, yeah. the blonde in the white T-bird who doesn't say anything in the film, but she's a very pivotal character. Yeah. Uh, and it really kicked off the whole 70s nostalgia craze for the 50s with Happy Days came afterward and Grease and... Mm-hmm. Laverne and Shirley and oh yeah, you you can see its influence certainly on those shows, but I, just just its influence on soundtracks. Yes, right. Compilation soundtracks became huge. Became huge. Yeah. Those were some of my favorite, most influential albums as I was growing up. Were soundtracks because they introduced me to so much different music. Yes, and I think particularly if you grew up in the '80s, I think that was really the explosion of the compilation soundtracks. Um, pretty much every, and it got a little, as we were talking about earlier, a little cynical and marketing driven that they started putting a lot of incongruous pop music into film <laughs> so they could sell the soundtrack and it That's wasn't really true. careful. Sure. And well, I think, I think of like Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. Yeah. They were sort of driven by hits. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That weren't really organic to the film. And of course, Flashdance and Footloose and. My very first uh, audio cassettes that I owned that were mine were Footloose and Flashdance. Classic, Best, classic eighties like, great music. soundtracks. Yeah, and those movies were at least musical, so music yeah. was part of the film. But like Top Gun, I was listening to that soundtrack recently, and <laughs> Kenny Loggins. I don't know why. <laughs> I had that one too. There's some good tunes, yeah. you know, but really, it doesn't really evoke the theme of the film to me at all. It's a lot of good songs that were put right. together on an album and called Top Gun. Yeah, and I think that was very prevalent in the eighties. Well, and even more prevalent now in some ways, right? Because you've got these conglomerates, and so they'll base their soundtracks on what do we own? What's right. in our library of music? Right. Okay, let's go back and find our 70s nostalgia song. Yeah. Right. I, Guardians of the Galaxy, I have mixed views about, but that's a soundtrack that I don't particularly care for because it feels very manipulative to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it's part of the story, but gosh, it really felt like it was meant so that adults could enjoy the movie who didn't know the comic book in any way or didn't know the characters. It was a way to get adults to have this nostalgia kick. Correct. Um, Yes, definitely. And it's got a nod to Pulp Fiction, and Quentin Tarantino is obviously somebody who uses soundtracks to great effect. Um, I love the Jackie Brown soundtrack. That's been one of my favorite Mm -hmm. Tucson driving albums. Mm -hmm. The last couple months, because oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's so cool and chill. Django Unchanged is is one of my favorites. Oh yeah, oh yeah, well. oh yeah. He he does really interesting things with music. I mean, Pulp Fiction, the soundtrack was inescapable that year, ninety four, yeah. when it came out. Yeah, it kicked off the whole surf music craze in the nineties, and uh, and he is whatever else you may think about Tarantino, he's very specific in his tastes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very careful with the music selections and how it comments on the action in the films as it's happening. His his, his soundtracks do not seem random at all. No. no. No, I've read that he's said that, in fact, there are times where he'll find a song and that will spur an idea mm. for a film and then he'll use that. Right. Um, so he definitely, it's very particularly chosen. For his films. Who can forget Stuck in the Middle in Reservoir Dogs when Michael Madsen's <laughs> oh, slicing the policeman's <laughs> ear off. Like you, That changed the way you listen to that oh, song. Yeah. You'll never listen I to never it in the same way. I never not see Michael Madsen. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's that's powerful filmmaking if you can change your perception of something you already knew very well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which, which it did. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why compilations, I, I think it's easy to, to write them off um, as just a cheap way to, to manipulate your audience. But when done right, like like Quentin Tarantino regularly does, or I, I think the Coen brothers, and that's that's kind of the film I wanted to talk about is Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I, I think that that's a perfect melding yes. of of music and film. And it starts out with that Oh Muse quote that I that I uh, used to start this show. But that's how the movie starts is with that quote, and and the music in it. We the very opening scene is a chain gang working, and they're singing as they're working. And that's part of the soundtrack of the movie. Mm. And and so it really is evocative of the 1920s. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Set in the 1920s, uh, Dust Bowl, Depression era. And and it, it uses updated versions of, of the music from that and shows how how it was used in culture and how, yeah. how yeah. influential music is to our culture. It shows a religious uh, ritual, a baptism, a mass baptism, I guess, um, and they're singing in that. They've got this hymn that they're singing. Um, there are women washing and doing doing laundry, and they're singing as they're doing it. And I think that that's really neat. There's a Klan rally, and there's chanting, and that's really powerful and very evocative. And the music just works so brilliantly, woven throughout this really great movie. And And it's interesting that... It's about storytelling, right? It's based on the Odyssey very loosely. And so that's the oral tradition was was telling stories in almost a sing-songy manner so that you could remember them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that that was part of the mnemonic device they would use to tell these huge stories. And so that's what Oh Brother Where Art Thou does and that's part of the theme of the movie in fact mm. is is how music is used to tell a story yeah. right and really it and it hits this really great moment where the George Clooney character ends up singing they they show up at a radio station and sing into the man's can and they sing Man of Constant Sorrow and my gosh by the time you get to that point I am in love with the George Clooney character <laughs> um he's just yeah. so hilarious to me um, I, I just can't stop smiling when he every time I see it. And I've watched it a lot. I watched it last night. <laughs> you love that, yeah. I really do. You do love it. Um, and I, I think that movie has really become a part of our culture, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a big hit when it was out. But now I find there are lots of people who quote that movie. And the soundtrack was enormous when Phenomenon. it came out. Phenomenon. It was bigger than the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, agreed, yeah. It was right there with any of the biggest soundtracks, the best, the biggest selling soundtracks of all time. And it had a lot of spinoff albums. I remember there were like the women of that's right, yeah, brother, where art thou? And there were a lot of bluegrass sort of spinoffs from that. Yeah, yeah, it's got some really great bluegrass music Mm -hmm. in it, and and so it did. It had a real impact on bluegrass becoming more popular, Mm -hmm. and even folk music. I think got got a little boost from from the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. And that was T-Bone Burnett, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T-Bone Burnett, exactly. Yeah. That was a huge, enormous influence that he's he's created now. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I think Oh Brother of of all the movies that that use a compilation type soundtrack, that one really blends everything so brilliantly mm-hmm. and intertwines the story and the music in, to make it not superficial at all, but but an intricate part of telling of this tale. Mm. 
Yeah, it doesn't feel like a grab bag. It's no. very curated. Yeah, which absolutely. I think is the key to a good compilation soundtrack. Curation, curation, yes, curation. Exactly. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. And then the 90s also had a, a kind of a resurgence after the 80s of mm-hmm. compilation soundtracks, particularly R&B, hip hop. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's there were some excellent uh, R&B hip hop. I think the heyday of R&B hip hop soundtracks was 90s. Um, and maybe a, a dash of the early 2000s. Mm. Um, I mean, I personally, honestly, if you looked at that, the CDs I bought back then that were uh, uh, mostly soundtracks at that point. Mm. Um, there was Juice. There was Above the Rim. There was Boomerang. Um, Space Jam. Space Jam. Must not forget Space Jam. I do um, like Space Jam, which is weird because I don't like the movie, really. Yeah, but the, but the soundtrack, soundtrack is great. so good. Yes. So there's that, and the one of the ones that is particularly resonant to me is "Waiting to Exhale," which uh, uh, was Forrest Whitaker's feature debut, directorial mm-hmm. debut, and based on the book by Terry McMillan. She wrote uh, "Waiting to Exhale," "How Stella Got a Groove Back," mm-hmm. but her two most, I would say, popular now titles. And I, you know, me and my best friend at the time r- read the book, and we're like, "Yes, we must watch. <laughs> we yeah. must watch "Waiting to Exhale" because at that point, I don't know if she did, but I had not really experienced real, like, grown-up love, but I'd experienced the closest thing to getting my heart broken at that time. Mm-hmm. And you know when you're young and you get your first few heartbreaks, they feel so visceral and they affect your life because your life is so siloed right. in that teenage life that it just becomes, you lash onto things that make you feel and identify with. And and I identified with Waiting to Exhale, not in any way, shape, or form in a real way, because I was not married. Right. I had not been cheated on. I have not none of that. Right. But I had my heart broken. So I could understand all these women. So it, the Waiting to Exhale, story of four women, four friends, and they vary in age, kind of. Whitney Houston um, plays a successful businesswoman. And the other four, three women, great roles. They all kind of target a certain age range, you know, mm. young 20s, 30s, upper 40s. One of the mm. characters is um, a woman whose her son's graduating, leaving the, the nest. Mm. And so all of them were how they viewed their relationships with men and how they've affected right. them. And it was for me at that age, seeing it and on screen with four great female characters, let alone black women characters mm-hmm. was so impactful for me. And I immediately went and bought the soundtrack because I loved what I heard in the movie. It has, um, so Babyface, Kenny Edmonds, Babyface, uh, produced the whole thing, the all, all original music except for the one, um, My Funny Valentine, that um, Shaka Khan sings. And it was funny, the fir- when I first started listening to the soundtrack, I would skip that song. And now I don't. Well, now I listen yeah. to the whole song because I like all kinds of music now much more. You know, <laughs> worldly now. You're so worldly. Uh, I'm not 18 anymore. Yeah. And um, but I mean, they have at the time Winnie Houston was at her had just finished the Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Tony Braxton was at her peak. TLC, Brandy, Aretha Franklin. Hello, Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Come on. Um, SWV, Mary J. Blige, who like later on did another album that like was my heart. And uh, so it, it's it it recall. I mean, it's full of positive women. And singing about love and life. It's all female artists yes, on the soundtrack. All female yes. artists. That's great. And I mean, how amazing is that? Like nowadays, we're still begging for, uh, you know, female directors and yeah. more female musicians. Yeah. But here, Kenny Edmonds was like, "Sure, let's fill this whole 
album with mm-hmm. amazing women and right. um, with a movie with amazing women. Yep. Um, so I guess now we just need to keep on working on the behind the scenes women part. But it, it's a great story and I think they do the great thing with where the four characters you as a as a person you can identify as a woman you can identify with at least one of the characters um kind of like a sex and the city kind of thing where everyone picked one of them that they mm. kind of understood more than the others and it's a heartbreak but at the end I mean it's really about women coming together and being being there for each other like and how in between you see their real life happening and and how their husband leaves them or how she, oh, Whitney character sleeps with a married man and she finally realizes she's worth more than that. And that that whole idea of there's this one scene where she thinks like she can handle it dating this married man. And then you hear him call his wife baby and you, uh-huh. and you see her face and you're like, ah, and she finally gets like he's never he I thought I was the only one. Silly me. You know, what? He talked to his wife that way? And, you know, that moment of if you've <laughs> yep. ever even been in, near that situation, you get. And, you know, Angela Bassett is such classic Angela Bassett and strong and beautiful in this movie. The scene where she sets her husband's car, car on fire. fire. Yes. Because she's leaving. Yes. Because he's leaving her for a younger woman. Oh, it's horrible. It's, it's like, honestly, like what every woman who's ever been betrayed wants to do. But then you also see, like, the aftermath. The truth of it is that that's not only not going to really solve her problems. Mm. But in that moment, she felt damn good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, honestly, I still enjoy – it takes place in Phoenix, which I still think is weird because only a little bit gives me mm. a Phoenix vibe. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm terribly familiar with Phoenix, but uh, – so just sh- short moments make me feel like it's Phoenix. It's a little weird. But – um it's good. I think it's still playable. I mean, there's a few dated moments, you know, with culture and electronics and stuff like that. Right. But I think the story in and of itself and just showing four strong women mm-hmm. who come in together in the end. And it wasn't necessarily that they all end up with a man in the end. But in the end, they all end up with each other. And remember that we're still here yeah. for each other. And I think that's just a great message for young women. 20 plus years later so and the yeah. soundtrack is is awesome if you like r&b stuff and great female singers it's yeah. great. and it was smartly curated because it matched the theme of the yeah. film i mean it, the yeah female I can empowerment and, pick out mm-hmm. the songs when they're playing and yeah. i know like i'm like in the when i'm listening to the album I'm like oh yeah that's that part you know yeah so it's good stuff yeah. i highly recommend it and at that time whitney was ruling soundtracks with yes, the bodyguard, bodyguard which had just come out right yeah. before that and yeah. Still the number one selling soundtrack yeah. of all time is The Bodyguard. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't, I think like, I'm not sure exactly what changed, but it feels like The Best Man came out like 2000, 2001. And that was like the tail end of good R&B rap soundtracks. Mm. That's still a solid soundtrack, The Best Man. That's another one I would mm. suggest. Um, but if you like old school rap and stuff, check out Juice, Above the Rim, good stuff. And they all mat. They give you that feeling, like especially above the rim. They give you that feeling when you're watching the movie. Um, but there was the heyday, and I mean, I don't know. I, since electronics are the way it is, and we don't buy CDs or albums anymore. Right. I mean, you might buy a full album, but you're still downloading it, so you don't technically have to listen to it. You don't have to push a button that fast forwards. Yeah. And so it seems like nowadays they're just dropping single songs for movies, and so I think the heyday of the compilation soundtrack album is gone. Unless something changes. I can't really see it ever coming back. Not in the same way. Not in the same way. Just no. because it's like, I mean, I like 
Bad Boy soundtrack, not a great movie. Kind of funny, but not great. Yeah. Yeah. Great music on that soundtrack. So it's like yeah. that that uh, dichotomy of maybe the movie's not so great, but the soundtrack was awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't think like the way they market now and the way they make stuff now, it's not. I just it's not going to replicate. It's not conducive that. to the classic compilation soundtrack because right. I think now we're all music curators. Yeah. Like we yeah. can yeah, we, we all curate cr- our own stuff. Right. And kind of part of the excitement of a soundtrack was hearing what someone else's, sometimes it didn't work, but someone else's idea, idea. of curation. Yeah, um, yeah. That Say Anything is a really great soundtrack. And it doesn't yeah. surprise me because it's Cameron Crowe. But uh, I had not heard uh, Living Color, the band, it's Living oh, Color, right. until I bought that soundtrack. And, right. I mean, I knew I had heard it in the movie, but I didn't know who they were. And so, like, those were cool moments of discovering bands that you didn't know you liked. Yeah. You know? Yes. So that was an yeah. easy way to into new bands that we don't have now. Right. And you didn't have to worry about buying a whole album of one artist. Right. One of my favorite soundtracks for a movie that I don't really right. like is called Times Square, mm-hmm. which was a 1980 movie starring Tim Curry as a DJ in New York. Oh, wow. Huh. It's about these two teenage girls that run away to Times Square and they want to become rock stars. And it's got it's a double album. It's of wow. punk and new wave music, nice. and it's so good. XTC mm-hmm. and um, Roxy music and Talking Heads and the Pretenders, mm-hmm. and a lot of the Patti Smith group. A lot of these songs and groups I'd never heard of as a kid, and I it kind of opened me up. I was like, wow! But right. I took a chance because it was a movie, and I was familiar with the yeah. movie, uh-huh. and I still listen to that soundtrack all the time yeah. to this day. Um, but I don't think it's a great film, but I think the soundtrack has outlived the movie. Agreed. That's true. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. One that really influenced me. I grew up in a small town in the, in the Midwest, and, and so the radio stations were very limited. Um, but the Pump Up the Volume with Christian oh, yeah. Slater, soundtrack. that soundtrack is so good. But it opened me up to a whole new, uh, I don't know, a catalog of music that I could listen yeah. to. Mm-hmm. It's got Pixies. It's got Soundgarden. It's got Sonic Youth. Mm. The one that really hit me was the Concrete Blonde cover mm. of Everybody Knows. Oh, yeah. Because then I was looking in the liner notes and I learned that there was this guy, Leonard Cohen. Oh, wow. <laughs> and That's so, awesome. Yeah, see? So that blew me yeah. away. Like that opened up a whole new yeah. chapter of what I could learn about, you know? Yeah. And that is what a great soundtrack could do. Yeah. You know, and the one the one thing I that I do see as far as modern soundtracks go, where people still do pay attention, is the musical um, Hamilton. Yeah, that's true. Right. Hamilton the is best a big thing deal. Ever Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you see it. Um, I what was it? The Book of Mormon as well. That's yeah. Was another one a yep. musical where the mm-hmm. the album actually caught on. Right. And Rent when it, they did the re Rent. the Rent movie yes. and the new soundtrack and yep. mm-hmm. that was I mean honestly I'm not a musical person mostly but that was good stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think uh, just one of my favorite probably my favorite album of all time is also a soundtrack of course Purple Rain yes hail Purple we're just Rain. I know we're just sort of skirting <laughs> around the issue but Purple Rain I think is the greatest soundtrack of all time yeah. you may be thinking why haven't we mentioned Purple yes. Rain <laughs> because we've We've already talked at length yeah. about Purple Rain, the movie here, uh, and Prince. But you can't talk too much about it. And it's right. Purple Rain's back right now. They just re-released the soundtrack, a remastered version of the Purple Rain soundtrack, with 11 unearthed cuts that were never released that were potentially going to be included in the film soundtrack. Um, things that he recorded back in that era, the Purple Rain recording era. 
and they're amazing. I've yeah. been listening to it nonstop. It would have made it would have made it a much longer film, obviously, had you had <laughs> like eleven more performances in the film. But it would have been worth it. Yeah. And that soundtrack to me is the perfect much like Oh Brother Where Art though, this soundtrack is about how music tells story. You can't separate the music from the story yeah. of Purple Rain right. because the music is, is the story. story. Yeah, yeah. Uh and it's track for track, I think it's the best. Like every song on that just flows and it's yeah. amazing stuff, and it reaches across generations as well. Right. Prince's music. I, mm-hmm. My son loves Prince. He's eight. Yeah, he loves nice. Prince right now. It's one of his favorites. Oh. The Beatles and Prince. That's what he'll tell you. Are <laughs> nice. That's a good. Kid. Two big ones. Yeah. No, he he gets a lot of music. You know. Yeah. yeah. My wife works at yeah. the radio station. <laughs> I've yeah, been a yeah, DJ. Right, yeah. So. Yeah. But also kind of rare in '84. That was the Grammy winner for best album, and it was also the Oscar winner. It was the number one movie. Mm-hmm. Like Prince was just ruling yeah. that year in 84. And that's why this re-release of the Purple Rain soundtrack with the extra songs is so great because it reminds you of how great Prince was at his peak. peak yeah. I need to check it out. I haven't watched yeah. the, or listened to the new one. Yeah, I, I really look forward to hearing the new one. Yeah, check it out. Four CDs. Wow. Oh, that's worth, yeah. nice. And a DVD of a Purple Rain era concert by Prince and the Revolution. Oh, nice. Um, in, from Syracuse, New York. Uh mm-hmm. Huh. Great. Highly recommended. Yeah. yeah. There are a couple others I think we could mention. I, Buena Vista Social Club. Solid. I will listen yeah. to that any day of the week. Yep. yep. Especially I listen the to that beach. all the time. That is like one of my favorite things mm-hmm. to listen to mm-hmm. at the beach, honestly. Yes. Very cliche, but true. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, before we did this episode, I, I posted on Facebook, what movie has the best soundtrack? Within five minutes, I had 10 comments. Oh. I had so many musicians comment, and some people were pretty funny. Um, there's a musician who's a very talented person. His name's uh, Chris Black, and he said, no country for old men. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh. As soon as I saw that, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I had to go back and look. Yeah. It's really esoteric yes, music. It, it barely has yeah. a soundtrack. Right. For one, but it's like bowls and like it's it's a very yeah. different kind of it's soundtrack. Deep. That's avant-garde. Yeah. That's it's avant-garde. avant-garde soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And yeah. that that fits, fits Chris Black's uh, personality. It was no surprise once once I looked into it. Right. Uh, it was interesting though, just how many people wanted to talk about soundtracks. And so I I know mm. it's something that really matters to people. It's been a fun episode to kind of do research on and to look yeah. at. Yeah. There's also the movie True Stories. True Stories, um, the Talking Heads. The yeah. Talking Heads movie yep. that's really good. I yep. love that soundtrack a lot. And yeah. it inter it interweaves the the music rather brilliantly. Yes. I think Magnolia is a great soundtrack. Oh the Amy Man. I mean I mean oh. I mean I this I'll oh yeah. <laughs> I can't even speak <laughs> no. on how amazing the Magnolia soundtrack is. Ma- Amy Man Oh, she wrote such beautiful songs for that mm-hmm. movie and such like gut wrenching. And her voice, it's so funny if you when you pair her voice with those words, it's I mean, for me, it changed my life. I will say that's one soundtrack that changed my life. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's a mix of her vocal tracks with kind of an avant garde soundtrack. Yes. Uh, and it works brilliantly, I think. I mean, yeah. if you like Amy Mann remotely, you should check out the Magnolia soundtrack. For sure. Yeah. Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead created the soundtrack for There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty amazing a soundtrack. soundtrack. Another Paul Thomas soundtrack. Anderson. Yep. That's it's great. A great soundtrack. He does great things with music. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou was a really interesting yeah, that, soundtrack uh, uh, because of the Sue George, David French, Bowie, yeah, Portuguese yeah. covers. Yep. Like, that was typically sort of quirky Wes Anderson idea to use that as the soundtrack, mm-hmm. but it, it's great. It's very it memorable. Goes so well. oh, it goes so well. Yeah. I, I love Wes Anderson's use of music. Uh, in Rushmore, when Oyoko starts playing, like that just lights up my yeah. day. Yeah. yeah, it lights up my day. I love his use of music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, just one of my all-time favorites, obviously. And that was one that was listed. Everybody lists Tarantino film soundtracks mm-hmm. and Wes Anderson soundtracks yeah. as well as some of their favorites, and no surprise. Yeah, and he's a filmmaker whose use of songs changes my view of the song. For example, Royal Tenenbaums, the scene with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow walking in slow motion to the Nico song. Mm-hmm. It's so it's great. Point. And now, either fortunately or unfortunately, now whenever I hear Nico, I see Gwyneth Paltrow, which I don't really want to do, no, but, but but now I do. And I still love happens. the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, like, for example, Drive with uh, oh, the Ryan, Ron, Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. I personally love that movie, and it gives you a feeling. Uh, what I call like a tangible visceral feeling when you watch it and it wouldn't have been like that if it wasn't for that weird electronic score that they had going on like the electronic score versus that gritty crime life kind of thing and Mm -hmm. it's a great soundtrack I'm not I don't need to watch the movie over and over again but I will listen to the soundtrack oh it's great soundtrack yes uh, so, yeah, so um, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. We haven't talked about instrumental score soundtracks, but I think that yeah. would be certainly another interesting yeah. topic oh, yeah. to dive into. I think it's super important, and it's sometime we, I'm sure we will tackle that as a topic. Uh, but as for now, I'm just going to go home and listen to Purple Rain. I'm going to go buy it. I'm going to go buy it. That's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, well, thanks, Rusty and Heather. This is uh, great. Jeff. This was a great one. This has I need been to fun. go listen to American Graffiti again. And American, yeah, lots of good ideas for our listening. Yeah. I'm going to go get the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack. I don't. It's good. I, yeah, it's I'm yeah, okay. yeah. I should have brought the CD. Yes. I have it still. Oh. Okay. So uh, thanks for listening uh, to the Mini Rules of Film Club. Uh, please check us out everywhere that you can find us, including uh, Facebook, iTunes, uh on our website, minirulesoffilmclub.com. Player FM. Player FM. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. Give us your ideas. Share your feelings. Uh, we'll take all of that. Uh, so uh, next time on the Mini Rules of Film Club, we are going to be uh, diving into rule number 701 of the Mini Rules of Film Club, which is if you can't be in the state you love, then love the state you're with, because we're going to be looking at films shot in Arizona. And we love being in Arizona, even in the middle of the summer, face-melting summer. Uh, and there's been a lot of great films shot here. And we're going to explore that. Should next, be fun. Yeah. So that's next time on the Mini Rules of Film Club. And thanks for listening. <laughs>